Welcome to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. I'm glad you found us. My name is Tony Piles, and I'm the pastor here. I pray this recording brings you encouragement and growth in Christ, and we would love for you to join us in person anytime you are in town. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for our current schedule of worship and Bible studies. And may God bring you blessing through what you're about to hear. Thank you. Ezra chapter 8. Hear now God's word. These are the heads of their fathers' houses, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylonia in the reign of Artaxerxes the king. Of the sons of Phineas, Gershon. Of the sons of Ithamar, Daniel. Of the sons of David, Hattush. Of the sons of Shechaniah, who was of the sons of Perosh, Zechariah, with whom were registered 150 men. Of the sons of Pahath-Moab, Eliahoenai, the son of Zerahiah, and with him 200 men. Of the sons of Zatu, Shechaniah, the son of Jehaziel, and with him 300 men. Of the sons of Aden, Ebed, the son of Jonathan, and with him 50 men. Of the sons of Elam, Jesheah, the son of Athaliah, and with him 70 men. Of the sons of Shephatiah, Zebediah, the son of Michael, and with him 80 men. Of the sons of Joah, Obadiah, the son of Jehiel, and with him 218 men. Of the sons of Bani, Sholomith, the son of Josephiah, and with him 160 men. Of the sons of Bebai, Zechariah, the son of Bebai, and with him 28 men. Of the sons of Asgad, Johanan, the son of Hakatan, and with him 110 men. Of the sons of Adnikam, those who came later, their names being Eliphelet, Jewel, and Shemaiah, and with them 60 men. Of the sons of Bigvi, Uthai, and Zachar, and with them 70 men. I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. As I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there none of the sons of Levi. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jerob, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, leading men, and for Joyarib and Elnathan, who were men of insight, and sent them to Iddo, the leading man at the place Casiphia, telling them what to say to Iddo and his brothers and the temple servants at the place Casiphia, namely, to send us ministers for the house of our God. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion, of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and kinsmen, also Heshabiah, and with him Jesheah, of the sons of Merari, with his kinsmen and their sons, twenty, besides two hundred and twenty of the temple servants, whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites. These were all mentioned by name. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God, to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this. 
and he listened to our entreaty. Then I set apart twelve of the leading priests, Sherebiah, Heshabiah, and ten of their kinsmen with them. And I weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God, that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present had offered. I weighed out into their hands 650 talents of silver, and silver vessels were 200 talents, and 100 talents of gold, 20 bowls of gold worth a thousand derricks, and two vessels of fine bright bronze as precious as gold. And I said to them, You are holy to the Lord, and the vessels are holy, and the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers' houses in Israel and Jerusalem, within the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites took over the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem, to the house of our God. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days. On the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of Merimoth the priest, son of Uriah. And with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. And with them were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benui. The whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and to the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people and the house of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please be seated. Lord God, would you open our eyes this morning, that we might behold wonderful things in your law. In Jesus' name, amen. question to help us approach this chapter this morning. Why is it that we are often only struck by spectacular instances of God's care? Why do we overlook the day to day? Why is it that we're only struck by spectacular instances of God's care? Last week in chapter 7, Among several other things, we considered the means through which God demonstrated his providential care for his people. In particular, we saw how he used vacillating politicians, the favor of the people, and the fear of God that he set in their hearts. And these were impressive in their own right. The king, who so richly supported Ezra's mission, after all, was the same one we heard about in chapter 4, halting work on the wall in response to those overtures from Judah's neighbors. 
In this chapter, as Ezra's preparation and then travel is recounted for us, we continue to see means of God's providential care, but we also see more examples of the spheres in which that care operates. What areas of our life can we look to, or do we see in Ezra and his companions where God's care extends over them? As each sphere comes to the fore in the narrative, we hear repeated of Ezra and his companions what we heard of Ezra in chapter 7, that the good hand of their God is upon them. And that then becomes the controlling image for the chapter. As we see them gather, as we see them prepare, as we follow them on their journey to the land, the dominant tone, whichever way they turn and whatever is happening, is the good hand of their God is upon them. So let's look then at chapter 8 and these areas of God's care. And the first thing we see in these first 20 verses, roughly the first half of the chapter, is God's provision of the Levites. They need ministers for the house of God, and God provides that for them. The first 14 verses, as as Ezra is gathering all of these people, people that in chapter 7, verse 13, the king had said, right, anyone who wants to go with you may. Well, God stirs up the hearts of people to go with him, and so they do. But as they muster, and Ezra starts going over the roll call, who's here, who's not, we see priests, we see the line of David, singled out so rare in the book of Ezra at this time we see lots of lay people from Judah but we don't see Levites there are no Levites among the company those whose job it is to help move the vessels that belong to the sanctuary to assist the priests in carrying out the ministry of the temple who share with them in the duties of teaching and caring for all of Israel. There's not a man among them. So what does Ezra do? He operates according to the best of his wisdom, right? He says, this is a problem. Right? Verse 15, as I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there none of the sons of Levi. So he sinned for leading men and men of insight. He looks among his company for people who have clout, people who have influence, those who are persuasive, and sends them to the Levites and says, come, come. And what happens? The Lord prospers that Endeavor, as, as Ezra narrates this for us, he, he sends them to a specific place, sends them to Edo, so please come, tells them even what to say. Here are the things you can say that will persuade Edo to send Levites among us. Verse 18, by the good hand of our God on us. 
they brought us, a man of discretion. They didn't send us just anybody. But they sent the kind of Levite we might hope for, along with a company besides. A whole host of Levites. It might seem to us a, a rather small selection of Levites. Here's a guy, there's a guy, 18 with one. Kinsmen and sons, 20. It sounded like a big group. No, it's just 20. And then 220 of the temple servants. But this is the group that responds immediately and within a matter of days is there with Ezra, ready to go. And here is an area in which God provides for his people. Ezra looks at the company he's assembled, the company headed back to the land. We have priests. We have the line of David. We have all these other folks. We have no ministers. We have no Levites to minister to the people. And yet, God provides. By the good hand of our God on us. Ezra does his work. He goes about using the means at his disposal and God provides for their need so that they can arrive in the land with Levites able to minister to the people alongside the priests. We see parallels of this in the church today where God continues to raise up the next generation of ministers. Sometimes we actively pray that God would raise up leaders for his church. Sometimes we work to consciously disciple young men who show promise for ministry. And sometimes we neglect those things. And yet, God raises up the next generation of leaders. Because Christ builds his church. As for them, so for us. Because of God's good hand upon them, because of Christ's love and care for his church, he provides for his people in this area. What other areas do we see the Lord providing, watching over, extending his care over his people in this chapter? Well, the next two are closely intertwined. That's the protection of the company and the preservation of the treasure. We see Ezra concerned for this in verse 21. We see a difference in his response to the need. He looked around and saw no Levites, and so he found influential people to send back to persuade Levites to come. He looks at the people that have gathered now. He looks at all of the treasure that they are carrying back. He looks at the journey of a thousand miles. It's like, oh dear. And he remembers something. He remembers that time he ran his mouth in front of the king. He didn't say anything that wasn't true. But he said something that now puts him in a position of thinking, I can't ask. I can't ask for armed guards because I've boasted 
in the Lord and in his protection. And would I now be calling that into question if I said to the king, hey, would you mind sending some some armed troops with us? I mean, this is a thousand miles and a whole lot of money and they'd really come in handy. He's backed himself into a corner. Now, what does he do? He doesn't walk that back. Instead, he presents that to the Lord. Lord, I said this about you. Lord, I believe this about you, though I tremble. He proclaimed a fast. That we, by speaking of the people with him, that we might humble ourselves before our God. Seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, our goods. So we fasted and implored our God for this and... He listened. He listened to our entreaty. He considered how the people needed Levites and the means Ezra used to meet that need or to send people likely to persuade the Levites to come. He saw the length of the journey, the dangers it posed, to people and property, and the means Ezra sought was prayer and fasting. In both instances, what we learn, what Ezra knew, and certainly knew in retrospect, how or why did God provide? Because the good hand of our God was upon us. He didn't look at the one and say, that was sure good thinking on my part. And look at the other and say, "Uh uh-oh. I mean, he did at the beginning, right? But looking back in both areas, over his whole journey, what did he see but the good hand of God upon us? How did we come by ministers for the people, the good hand of our God upon us? How did we arrive safely in the promised land without harm coming to us or our children? The good hand of God, of our God, was upon us. How is it that the the receipts from Babylon match the receipts from our arrival in Jerusalem? The good hand of our God was upon us. Whether he sends persuaders or lifts up prayers, though the means vary, what lies behind it again is the good hand of God upon them. Mind you, he does charge the people in charge of the vessels. So he uses other means there as well. But see, the great lengthy description of the riches that he brings of the people who are with him. But what about the description of the journey? Look with me at verse 31. It's passed over in a matter of verses. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. 
When we came to Jerusalem, there we remained three days. Do you notice that? A journey of a thousand miles, probably taking four months. Right, the, the, the 15 days as he's preparing and departing, right, that's taken up all the way from verse 1 to verse 30. The journey of four months and a thousand miles, one verse, one verse. Because he's already told us the good hand of our God was upon us. So what else is there to say except, yep, it was. It was this curious phrasing, right? That we, we really, really want him to tell us more. The end of verse 31. He says, he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes on the way. What do you mean, Ezra? Do you mean that there were armed bandits in the bushes and their arrows bounced off like a force field around you as you passed? Do you mean you got into fights along the way, you just always won? Or by deliver, do you mean like preserved from, like you didn't even see a shadow of a bad guy on the whole thousand miles as you moved this mobile Fort Knox from, from Babylon to Jerusalem? Doesn't matter. The Lord protected. He watched over. He provided for the hand of our good God was upon us. And we arrived. And everything was there, right? In verse 34, it said, The whole was counted and weighed. And the weight of everything was recorded. So how do the people respond? They see these areas where God protects and provides and watches over and cares for them in providing Levites and ministers, in protecting themselves and their children, in bringing the treasure provided for the temple over this thousand-mile journey. How do the people respond? They respond with an outpouring of worship from verses 35 to the end. At those time, at that time, those who had come from the captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all Israel. Ninety-six rams, another multiple of twelve. Seventy-seven lambs, and a fullness of lambs. As a sin offering, twelve male goats, all a burnt offering to the Lord. They pour themselves out in worship, fulfilling vows they likely made at the beginning of their journey, offering sacrifices for sin, declaring to the assembled people of God, to one another, to their watching Neighbors, what God has done for them. And in this response, we, we find the so what of our passage. Because apart from this response, what we have in this chapter reads like another history lesson, like an amazing, kind of impressive history lesson, but these names and places and customs that are unfamiliar to us but consideration of these traveling mercies on, on Ezra's company presses us in two directions. 
In the first place, it, it presses us to pray, both more fervently and more extensively. We saw Ezra and company pray for protection, which God graciously granted. We also saw that God granted many things for which they did not seek his face, although he knew that they needed them. So let us learn from Ezra and his companions to pray, to pray often, to pray for more, to pray for things we often take for granted and don't ask for. And in the second place, related to that, this testimony of Ezra and his company, it presses us to be on the lookout for what God has done and is doing for us. What was sometimes called reading the book of Providence, looking at God's hand on your life, looking for examples of how he has cared for you. There's a wrong way to do this. We see that with Job's friends in the book of Job, right? They look at Job and say, your life is terrible. You must have messed up somewhere, right? But there's also a way of reflecting on what God has brought you through in light of his word that lays bare the many, the manifold, the varied ways he has cared for you that you're often unaware of at the time. So Ralph Davis, in his commentary on another passage, shares a story that somebody else shared about somebody else that illustrates this beautifully. I'll, I'll read to you his recounting of this anecdote. He says, Clarence McCartney told the story about Dr. John Witherspoon, a signer of the Declaration of Independence and a president of the then College of New Jersey, what was later to be Princeton. He lived a couple of miles away from the college at Rocky Hill and drove a horse and rig each day to his office. One day, one of his neighbors burst into his office, exclaiming, Dr. Witherspoon, you must join me in giving thanks to God for his extraordinary providence in saving my life. For as I was driving from Rocky Hill, the the horse ran away from me. And the buggy was smashed to pieces on the rocks, but I escaped unharmed. Witherspoon replied, Well, I can tell you a far more remarkable providence than that. I've driven over that road hundreds of times. My horse never ran away. My buggy never was smashed. I was never hurt. seems less impressive until you stop and reflect. And so I I bring us back to that question with which we opened. Why are we only impressed? Why do we only pause to take stock of spectacular examples of God's care for us? We're all familiar with the so-called foxhole prayer or the brief but eloquent, God help me. But often in the throes of this or that situation or in its aftermath, we miss an opportunity to take note of God's deliverance, of his provision, of his sustaining mercy. 
to this chapter in Ezra calls on us to thank God for what he has done for us in Christ, certainly, but also to reflect on particulars and specifics and the seemingly mundane. What has God seen you through this year? How has he made provision for you this month? How has he protected you this week or even this morning? Let us pray. Lord God, David tells us in the Psalms that you who watch over us neither slumber nor sleep, which allows us to do exactly that. But Lord, may you impress us, impress into our hearts the wondrous extent of your watchful care, the depth of your protection, the magnitude of your care. May you by that encourage us, comfort us, strengthen us, and fill our mouth with praise. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of response is number 55. To God be the glory. Would you stand and let's worship God together. You've been listening to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for more teaching and for our current schedule of events if you'd like to drop in. We pray this recording has been a blessing to you. Go in peace.